Hello friends, Tom here from wherever you are tuning in. I want to welcome you. It is a privilege to be able to uh, go through the scriptures with you right now. We're actually going to be wrapping up John chapter 17 today. I've been looking forward to this because it's just such an amazing passage of scripture. We have been going through this series together through the Gospel of John, uh, the series entitled Jesus Is, where we have been exploring and uh, inspecting and really investigating as much as we possibly can about Jesus. Because we are convinced, uh, just like the Apostle John said, uh, that, that belief about Jesus is really important. It was important enough for John to write this, uh, this incredible gospel account about the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, yeah, we had, this is the 55th week in this series. It's been, it's been great. We're going to jump in, like I said, and finish off John chapter 17 and Jesus' high priestly prayer. But before we do, uh, I just want to take a moment and share an important update with you, okay? Um, literally like an hour and a half ago, I think, <clears throat> at the time from, from right now when I'm recording this, uh, an hour and a half ago, I got word that we have a legit possibility for a gathering space that would allow us to meet on Sunday mornings, okay? So I want to put that in front of you. I am... Uh, I am like really, really excited. I'm trying not to get too excited because we have, um, the staff has been working really, really hard for literally months trying to secure something for us. And it's been like dead end after dead end after dead end. Um, but their persistence has been remarkable. You would be so proud. So much of this is happening behind the scenes. But like, like I said, there's a legit possibility that we could, um, we could gather together on a Sunday mornings and potentially even before Easter. So just please, please, please pray, okay? Pray that God would uh, guide us, continue to guide us in our, in, our, in our search for space and that he would provide. This could be a really, really good situation. So please pray. Um, today, like I said, we're going to be finishing up John chapter 17, okay? Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's this incredible account, the longest from a duration standpoint, the longest account of Jesus praying in the entire Bible. And I would argue it's the most beautiful. It's the most glorious because it's thorough and the depth is amazing. We've spent three weeks kind of going through the three basic chunks of this prayer. Uh, just to kind of give you a review, the first week in this kind of mini series going through John chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself. Okay, the, the day before um, he goes to be crucified, he prays for himself. And then, and then the second part of, of, of the chapter that we covered actually last week is Jesus prays for the disciples that are with him. And then today is the day that I've been anxiously anticipating um, to be able to, to share with you. Jesus prays for restored Temecula. He really does. He prays for you and he prays for me and it's recorded in scripture for us. And it's a treasure. So I'm going to jump into this, but before I do, I want to pray. So will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have the scriptures. I mean, life can be so hectic and so crazy and there can be so many things that are thrown at us, but man, your word for us, recorded, written down, can be an anchor for our soul. So that's my prayer that the truth of your word that we investigate today would be an anchor for our souls, God. And that whatever happens with the storms of life, the waves, the wind, that we would be anchored with the truth of what you have said and what that means for us. 
So Holy Spirit, help me to serve and love through a camera and give all of us um, spirit, like open our eyes spiritually, open our ears spiritually to hear from you. We love you and we need you and we look to you now. Holy Spirit, teach us. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. Okay, here we go. This is again Jesus praying. Okay, the third part of his prayer here. Jesus says this in verse 20. I pray not only for these. Now, again, these are the disciples that are with him. He's wrapping up. He's transitioning that prayer over those disciples. So he's not just praying for those disciples. He says this. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you if you're a Christian. That's me if you're a Christian. Jesus is praying specifically for Christians who would become Christians through the testimony of these disciples going forth with the gospel, okay? That's every Christian, okay? The, the, the chosen, adopted children of God. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> Verse 21, may they, that's us, you and me, restored to Mecula, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. I made your name, the essence, all of who God is, I, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved with, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and, and I may be in them. Okay. There's so much here. This is so incredible. I'm going to focus on kind of two things, okay? I want to talk about Jesus' request for us, okay, for you and me, for Restored Temecula. I want to talk about Jesus' request for us and the implications, there's a four of them, the implications of his request, okay? What is Jesus' request for us for Restored Temecula and what are the implications of that request for us? All right. So what is Jesus' request for us? I don't know if you caught it. It's kind of a theme throughout his prayer, but it's this idea of oneness. Look back at verse 21. Jesus prays, May they all, again, restored to Mecula, people who would believe through the testimony, generations even after those original disciples, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, Jesus says. So Jesus, is, his request here is that we, Restored Temecula, would be one with each other just as God is one, okay? Remember, God, Trinity, right? Three persons, one God. Restored Temecula, many people, one church, right? We'd be one. His, his request is that we would be one with each other just as God is one and that we would be one with God. It's remarkable. And friends, like, I, I, I need you to see something here. This is incredibly intimate language, man. 
It should sound familiar, okay? If you've spent any time reading the Bible, even in the first few pages, Genesis chapter 2, right? You have God creating man and God creating woman, and it describes the very first marriage between Adam and Eve, right? Where, where, where a husband, Adam, and his wife, Eve, they, they're the joined together, and the scripture says that two become one. Intimate language. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 28 through 31, the Apostle Paul writes this in the same idea. He says, In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He's literally like saying that the, the, the love that a husband has for his wife is the equivalent of loving his own body. Like it's, they're, they're, they're connected, they're, they're, they're one. He, says, he goes on to say, He who loves his wife loves himself. Like, it's like, it's hard to tell where the husband ends and the wife begins. Verse 29, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Listen to this. And he's going to quote Genesis 2. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You cannot separate a husband from his wife because they're one. Right? They're two, but they're one. Listen, Jesus' request for our church, for Restored Temecula, is like for you and me, is that we, as individual people, would be one with each other and with God. Just think about that for a second, okay? That's Jesus's request that we would be one with each other and one with God. Now, <clears throat> for the rest of our time, I just want to chat around this idea of what are the implications of this? What are the implications of Jesus's request, his prayer, his petition to God the Father that restored Temecula, that you watching this, that me, that we would be one with each other and one with God, okay? The first thing, that, the implication is that we'd have unity with God, okay? That, that means there's no longer separation. Listen, separation from God is the most terrifying reality that there is. Like, imagine for a moment. <laughs> uh, imagine, you ever seen like scuba divers? You know, they get the wetsuit, they got all the gear, you know, they got the mask, got their oxygen tank. Like they dive down deep into the water, you know, and they're, they're able to check everything out. They're able to be in, frankly, a, a dangerous environment. Why? Because they got an oxygen tank, so they can breathe underwater. Friends, imagine like scuba diving and being separated from the oxygen tank. Dude, it's only a matter of time until you perish. Friends, the Bible tells us that God is the source of all things good. He's the source of life itself. Without him, a person perishes. It's only a matter of time in the same way that a scuba diver deep down into the ocean without an oxygen tank. Whew. It's only a matter of time. Being separated from the oxygen tank is, it's not just dangerous, it's deadly. Being separated from God results in death. 
That's why the scriptures say that the wages of sin, the result of sin is what? It's death. Being separated from the giver of life, the source of life that is God himself results in death. Sin, it separates us. But because of Jesus' work, because of his gracious, loving mission on the, on, the, on the earth, we can be united to God. We can have a close, intimate relationship with him, just like your body does with oxygen. Take him in, and we live. God's a poet with his creation. Unity with God, it means that we're no longer separated with him. Where sin separates us from God and leads to death. No, 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 no. Now we get to be united with him. It's incredible. We get to be one as Jesus prays for. So listen, I just want to like, I want to put this in front of you. If you're a Christian, like have you discovered how incredible God is? Like not just like, you know, you read things about him and things that he's done, but like here and now, like do you know how amazing he is? Like his beauty, his wisdom. And what the effect of being united with him can have on your entire life, every area. Unity with God. It means that he's, he's integrated into every single area of your life, just like oxygen is. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what you do, in every single moment of your life, you need oxygen. It's integrated into everything that you do. Your body depends on it. Unity with God means he's integrated into every single area of your life. There's union. It's oneness. Think about it. Think about your, you know, your, your job or your parenting or your relationships or your friendships. God being integrated into every single area of your life. That's what unity with him means. And I know this year's been tough. I know many of you are struggling in some of those areas in real ways, in significant ways. So let me, let me just encourage you with something. In the same way that oxygen is integrated into area of your life, every area of your life and you need it, you need to breathe it in, no matter what you're facing in any of these areas, I know it might sound weird, but breathe him in. Because of Jesus, we not only have access, we have union with God. That means it's integrated into every single area of our, of our life. That means the beauty that he is, the wisdom that he possesses, is not only available to us, but it's, he's with us. The implications there, I mean, we could do a whole series on that. Unity with God means that no matter what you face, friends, you don't face it alone. He's right there with you. I know some of you have experienced what it feels to be abandoned. Goodness, that's painful. It's so hard. Do you know what oneness with God means? Oneness with God, it's oneness. It means you'll never be abandoned. He will never abandon you. You're one. Some of you know exactly what it feels like to have somebody close to you betray you, to turn on you. Man, that's a suffering that's like, it really is unlike any other suffering. It's deep, it's painful. Do you know what oneness with God means? Oneness with God means 
He'll never betray you because you're one. He'd be betraying himself. And some of you are, especially after this last year, you are battling loneliness, man. You, you, you really feel alone. And many of the things that you're facing, depression seeks in. Do you know what it means to be one with God? It means you're never alone. Unity with God, it means relating to him, being one with him. Think about this, like God is three persons, one God, being united with him, being one with him. The, the Trinity means you get to relate to him as Father, God the Father, right? You get to relate to him as the lover of your soul, the bridegroom, Jesus. We are his bride, just like the, we get to relate to him as Father. We are his children with Jesus. We are his bride. We get to relate to him in, like those, 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 those like, deeply loving, those deeply loving ways. Like, and we get to relate to him as friend, Father as the lover of our soul and as friend, the most loyal friend, the most faithful friend, the most wise friend, the best friend ever, the Holy Spirit, to counsel us and lead us and guide us and encourage us. I don't know, I feel kind of compelled to, to camp out here for just a second on this idea of friendship. Some of you have gone your whole life and you've never really had a true friend. I'm not talking about an acquaintance. I'm not talking about people that you share experiences with. I'm talking about true, deep friendship. You could easily make the case biblically that friendship is the most intimate relationship you could have with another human being. That it would trans transcend even marriage. Don't you know God desires to be your friend. It's remarkable. Unity with God. Jesus' prayer for oneness means unity with God. Okay, that's the first kind of implication of his prayer. The second thing here is unity with each other. Okay, this is a big deal. Oneness, right, or, or unity. Here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean forced conformity. Let me read you a quote quick. One, one, um, one commentator says this, quote, This gift of unity is not a forced conformity, but an expression of the creative diversity within the Godhead. As there is only one true God who manifests himself through the differing function of, of Father, Son, and Spirit, so the loving unity of the body of believers is expressed through a rich variety of gifts and ministry. The whole family of God is a beautiful montage of differing cultures and temperaments, colors and gifts offered to God in worship and ministry that he may be glorified. End quote. I love that. It's not conformity. Oneness does not mean forced conformity. Okay? It means diversity. Like, can... We're talking about oneness, right? We talked about how two becoming one, a husband and a wife. Can you think of anything more different than a husband and a wife? Okay, ask anybody you know who's married and they'll tell you, yeah, my spouse is very different than me in, in many ways. Okay, completely different, yes, but yet complementary in so many ways. 
Friends, oneness does not mean forced conformity. It means diversity, but with uncompromising loyalty and love and commitment. It's glorious. Now, another thing that it means is it means shared identity. Okay, I want you to consider your identity for just a moment. Really, truly, think about this. Who are you? Go, I mean, go ahead and take a moment. List a few things in your mind. Who are you? What's your identity? For me, I mean, according to God's word, because of the gospel of Jesus, I am one with God. I am one with my wife, Ebony. And I am one with restored Temecula. So if I am one with God, with my wife, Ebony, and with restored Temecula, like I cannot describe myself apart from each of these because we're one. And, and, and hear me say this really quickly. When I say that I'm one with God or I'm one with Ebony or I'm one with Restored Temecula, like, I'm not saying I am them. Like, hear me, I, I'm not saying I'm God, okay? I'm going to go on the record right now. I'm not saying I am God. I am saying I am one with God. I'm not saying I am Ebony. I'm saying I'm one with Ebony. I'm not saying I am Restored Temecula. I'm saying I am one with the people of Restored Temecula, okay? <clears throat> Consider something for a second. If you have one hydrogen atom, and then you have another hydrogen atom, and then you have a, an oxygen atom, right? <clears throat> when those two things become one, the hydrogen doesn't stop being hydrogen. Okay, the oxygen doesn't stop being oxygen. Like, the oxygen doesn't, doesn't become hydrogen, okay? They don't become each other. Collectively, they become what? They become something new. They become water. We talked about a husband and wife quite often, I've used it, but I want you to keep using it, stay on the same train here. When a husband and a wife, when they get married, like when they become one, a man and a, and a woman, right? A man does not stop being a man and a woman does not stop being a woman. They don't become the other person. No, two individuals, they come together to make something new, a family. And listen, when a person becomes one with God and with other people who have also become one with God, they don't stop being themselves. The, the people don't become God and they don't, they don't become the other person. No, they collectively become something new. What is that? That's the church. That's what the church is. The church isn't a social network. It's not a club. It's, it's, a, it's a diverse family of people who are united as one, one with each other and one with God. Diverse roles, diverse giftings, diverse people, yet united as one with each other and with God. And that means... That means something kind of important. That means there's no place for division. There's no place for division because we have a shared identity. 
And do you know what that means? Please listen to me. That means you matter. There's all sorts of things coming at people in this season that says you don't matter. Think about the way that children have been treated in 2020. Just left off to the side, not a priority. Let's not do what's best for them. Let's make some other decisions. That's my opinion. I'm going to stick by it. I think kids have literally been kind of left behind this last year and it makes me angry. But there are so many things out there that would say you don't matter. Do you know what this means? To have a shared identity, it means that you matter. If you're a Christian, like, only you can contribute you to the church. And if you're a Christian, the church is incomplete without you. Do you see this? Just like water is incomplete with one of the hydrogen atoms. It's not water without that one atom. A shared identity means you matter. One with God and one with each other. That's what the church is. It's a division of any kind. It violates the oneness. Hopefully you're getting this, okay? And Jesus says whenever that happens, whenever there's division, right, it doesn't just affect the church. It does, but it doesn't just affect the church. It affects the rest of the world. Look back at verse uh, 23. Jesus says, I am in them, to the Father, I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved me and loved them as you have loved me. Let me read you another quote here, another Bible commentator. Quote, it is the unity, excuse me, it is the unity of the disciples, one with another and with God, that functions as a powerful witness to the world. And although Jesus did not say so, the converse is also sadly true. The lack of unity among his disciples undermines their witness to him. As they are marked out as God's people by their unity and mutual love, their witness to Jesus will have credibility. End quote. When there is division in the church, there isn't oneness. When there isn't oneness, the credibility of our message is undermined. The next implication I'm already kind of talking about here is that Jesus' prayer for oneness, the implication here is that, that it, it affects our witness to the world. As disciples, as Christians, as the body of Christ, as the church, when there's divisiveness, when there's not oneness, it affects our witness to the world. And on the opposite is true. When there is, oneness, when there is oneness, it affects our witness to the world. Listen to me. The role of the church on the earth is to reveal to the world the beauty of living in oneness with God and oneness with each other. When we live in oneness with God and each other, like there's nothing more beautiful than that, friends. It's glorious. All people are drawn to beautiful, glorious things, and there's nothing more beautiful than that. What John, uh, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 13, earlier in this series, in verse 35, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm going to say that again. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if 
you love one another. Intimate language, oneness language, when we don't live in oneness, when we live divided lives, when we separate ourselves from God and from other Christians, listen to me, we're giving a false testimony to the world about what God and his kingdom are like. People come to conclusions about God and his church based on how we live. For better or for worse. When the world sees division and hypocrisy instead of oneness, the world's like, why would I want that? I can get that anywhere else. But when, listen to me, but when the world sees not conformity, but diversity and unity, when the world sees different kinds of people radically loving God and radically loving each other, when the world sees transcendent oneness in the midst of a divided and broken planet, it's like a moth to a flame, man. The world cannot look away because it's so glorious. It's the glory of God on display. Do you see this? So listen, restored Temecula, please do not underestimate the power of living in oneness with God and oneness with your church family. I mean, that's our main strategy for mission as a church, friends. It's very simple. It's to be one with God and one with each other and then to invite other people into the party. That's it. Jesus implies that if we live as one, the world will know. Like, think about that for a second. If we actually didn't live divided, if we didn't live separated, if the church really did live as one with each other and one with God, the world would know, know what? That God is glorious and he's good and he came to save and restore and invite people into the party. All right, I will close with this one more implication of Jesus' request for oneness. Look back at verse 24. Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. The final implication of Jesus' prayer for oneness for us, for restored Temecula, is that we would be with him where he is. It's this idea of being together forever. Okay, the classic kind of fairy tale desire, right? Together forever. That's awesome. That means it doesn't end. That means no ending. With him where he is, no ending. But no ending to what? That's the important question. No ending to what? He he says, so that they will see my glory. No ending to his glory. Friends, do you remember um, 
a couple weeks ago, when we did the first part of this prayer, we talked about Jesus' prayer for himself. That's the, the first part of the high priestly prayer. And we talked about what, in that, in that message, we talked about what Jesus, his glory is. Do you remember? We talked about how as glorious as Jesus' life was. You know, he, 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 he lived in perfect obedience to the will of God. Like, he, he perfectly obeyed God the Father in his ways his entire life. Like, every moment. That's insane. That's incredible. Okay? It's as glorious as his life was. His perfect obedience. He fulfilled every prophecy of the Messiah. Like, hundreds. So he lived with so much intentionality that was able to, like, essentially ch- checkmark every single prophecy about the Messiah. He did it. I mean, think about his ministry, how miraculous it was. I mean, he raised people from the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He cast demons out of people who were tormented. He caused the lame to walk. Like, Jesus, his life was glorious. And as glorious as his life was, Jesus' true, true glory was not in his life. It was in his death, the cross, the ultimate sacrifice for sin, where Jesus absorbs the punishment for sin onto himself, the innocent one, absorbed the punishment that the guilty ones were due. Why? To make a way for the sinner to no longer be separated from God and from other people. He made a way for oneness. The greatest act of love in the history of the world. And what's remarkable is that it was for you. And it was for me. Friends, Jesus' prayer for oneness is a request for you to be with him and your church family forever. Where you perfectly experience his his passionate love for you, his glory, and it never ends. It only gets better. So, Jesus is the praying high priest, part three. He prayed specifically for you, restored Temecula, for you to be one with each other and one with God forever. That's amazing. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. I have no words other than thank you your desire for oneness with us. I think about how often I resist your ways, how often I resist you, how often I I walk in the flesh. My flesh wins. Your spirit in me gets kind of like pushed to the side. And yet you still have grace for me. You intentionally came and lived in my place and died in my place. You're the sacrificial lamb who takes the sins of the world on himself so that we might be one with you. Father, would you help us as a church? Would you help us to live as one? No more division. Like, Would you replace division with forgiveness, 
and compassion and understanding and grace. Not conformity, not that everyone would have the same thoughts or look the same way or have the same gifts or the same idea, like the same kind of mindset. No, 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 no. Like a diverse group of people living as one. Why, God? So that the world could see your glory in us and through us. Would you do that with our church family? Would you strengthen us? Would you make us one with each other and one with you? So that we can experience your kingdom both now and forever. We need you, Holy Spirit. Do that work in us. Teach us. Show us the way. Help us to see the glory of Christ on display at the cross. And let that, let that just motivate us to maintain unity and to fight for it and to live as one with each other and with you. I love you, Jesus. You're so good. Amen. Friends, I love you dearly. Grace and peace to you. The band's gonna leave us, or the band's gonna lead us into a time of kind of responding. So I want to encourage you as much as you can. If you're, if you're watching this or you're tuning into this by yourself, that's great. Know that there is there are believers all over the world and your church family is engaging with God right along with you. If there's people around you, praise Him together as one. It's vital. Love you dearly. Enjoy Him.